You're listening to episode 23 of LangFM, the podcast where I, Alexander Drexel, talk to people at the intersection of language and technology. I couldn't say my R's as a child, which is really unfortunate when your name is Rebecca. This is Rebecca Gorsnell, a voice, accent and dialect coach, my guest on today's episode. And people don't always know what I do. I mean, uh, sort of say dialect coach, dialogue coach. Oh, um, you know, are you are you helping the actors act? Said no. Are you are you helping the actors with? So what what does it mean to help the actors with with an accent? Um, and that's often hard to to answer. <laughs> Keep listening as I find out what it really is that Rebecca does for a living. Most of your stuff was on um, interpreting, and then mm -hmm. to contact someone who's—I mean, I'm certainly not an interpreter uh, in this in that sense. Um, but to to contact someone, it's a bit different field, but same, still in communication. Yeah, um, I'm very—I mean, the interpreter has has two meanings, right? And you studied acting, as far as I could tell yeah, from your CV, yeah, so that's that's uh, a way of interpreting too. Actually, it sometimes confuses people when you say I'm an interpreter and, and they think of like music or acting and then you say, no, no, it's about language. <laughs> so it's kind of related, I guess. And people don't always know what I do. I mean, uh, sort of say dialect coach, dialogue coach. Oh, um, you know, are you, are you helping the actors act? I said, no, are you, are you helping the actors with... So what, what does it mean to help the actors with, with an accent? Um, yeah. And that's often hard to, to answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And and we should definitely touch on that later on. But I think that that was exactly the, the motivation because um, in the podcast, I'm, I, I'm talking to interpreters and translators a lot, but I also try to talk to people that are somehow related to um, language, I guess, or in your case, I think it was about the voice stuff. Uh, just very generally, because <clears throat> interpreters are also somehow obsessed about their voice, and they should be because it's their main, uh, I mean, something that we really need for our work. I mean, no voice, no interpreting. So I, uh, maybe that that's where the interest came from. And a lot of us also um, have an accent, I go not, yeah, well, an accent when we speak in a foreign language, and maybe we have a dialect in our native language. And usually, <clears throat> you are at least encouraged to uh, get rid of the dialect when you become an interpreter, when you study at university. I mean, you, you don't have to, you know, get rid of it completely. I don't even know if that's possible, but you're trying to achieve a sort of... Um, a non-regional standard. Yes, because in Germany, we have quite a few uh, strong accents and, and some of the accents have a very good reputation when others have not. And the accent from my region does not have a very good reputation, at least not in the whole of Germany. So you would uh, try to get rid of that as much as possible. I are guess. you from the south? Where are you from? I'm from Saxony. So oh, sort of south okay. of Berlin. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's, it's been a whole German discovery of, of accents while living there. I'm sort of, okay, this Berlin is very, it, to my ear, sounds very harsh. Um, mm-hmm accent and then you have this southern thing that's a lot more uh sort of what it, all of my german friends try and say it's very sort of stereotypical <laughs> thing and then western yeah. so uh putting my brain around accents in uh german has been very fun the past few months yeah 
But but did you know a little bit of German before you came to Berlin for this project? You know, I did. I studied I studied German for a year in high school. And mm. I thought, oh, that'll just come rushing back to me, um, which it did not. <laughs> okay. um, but I've uh, picked up quite a bit. And I have weird instances where I sit in a room and I listen to the German people around me speaking, especially on set. And I realize that I understand the entire conversation, but I wouldn't know where to begin to speak back to them. Oh, I see. And that's yeah. been an interesting uh process because I'm used to being in a different country. I'm used to being in France and then in France, I can speak uh, French. So I'm used to mm -hmm. be able to navigate another country, a foreign country in a foreign language. So to be in a foreign right. country and not fully be able to navigate the foreign language is, uh, was tough at first and then kind of bizarre when I started to, the German did start to come back to me, but I, I still have uh, moments of, of okay am i speaking german or french french or yeah i'm very confused yeah. that's actually that happens a lot to interpreters that we sort of uh a mix up the languages and then we don't really remember which language we're actually speaking right now and secondly that we get very frustrated when we go to a foreign country and we cannot communicate in the language that people speak there because um We'll often go to the countries where we speak the language, so we're used to that. And when we can't do that, that's really frustrating. So I absolutely get that. <laughs> But you said that you studied German in high school. What, where did you grow up in the U.S.? Uh, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, so right smack dab in the center of the country. Um, although admittedly, my accent right now is definitely not um, of that area. <laughs> It's not very Southern, no. It's not even quite American, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> I I listen to myself on voiceover recordings and I think, oh, no, I sound Canadian, which slightly scares me in a way. <laughs> But I have all of this this British influence um, yeah. along with the American. And I, I feel like I'm in this catch-22 in that when I'm in the U.S., I say something and then people, uh, I was at a lunch and I said some, oh, that was quite good at the end. My friends went, eh, oh, that was quite good. You know, <laughs> I'm so posh. I live in London. Yeah. And then I come back here and my friends in the UK make fun of me and they say like, oh my God, whatever. Mm. They don't sound like that. So I feel <laughs> like I'm, I have a, an accent that doesn't belong anywhere really. And uh, that is very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so interesting to to see that. I mean, that this mutual fascination that exists or has been existing for a while now, I guess, between the UK and the US. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that later on. I think uh, because British TV is so popular in the US right now. Uh, on the other hand, there's a certain fascination among the British with uh, American culture, I guess. They're also very obsessed of American words seeping into their language. So it's very interesting to just to watch that, I think. And I suppose you have that almost on a daily basis, basically. Yeah, um, I, I do think it's it's interesting that this kind of shared thing. And I uh, one reason, I don't know, this isn't really language-based, but one reason I enjoy living in the UK versus I had uh, spent uh, a bit of time in France is I feel like the UK is this weird middle ground between Europe and the US. 
And they borrow a lot of things from the U.S. and the U.S. obviously inherited a lot from the U.K. So I feel like mm. I'm, I'm not quite – when I'm in Europe, when I'm in Germany, when I'm in France, I feel very much uh, European. But here I feel like there's this definite British thing and um, it's I'm, – I'm not fully foreign. I'm like a weird cousin <laughs> who lives in this country. <laughs> Yeah, I think I see what you mean. So uh, you grew up and, and you went to school in the US. Do you remember when you came to the UK for the first time? Yeah, I came to the UK for the first time um, to, uh, to visit or to live. To visit was um, in 2013, I want to say. And mm -hmm. then to live, it was 2014 when I was studying for my master's at Central, mm -hmm. the Central School of Speech and Drama. Yeah, was that in was that the one in Wales? No, no, or the, the, other the one? Central no. School of Speech and Drama is in uh, London. It's in Northwest London. Okay, okay. Um, so, so that's when you when you came to the UK to to. Uh, study and and you've been to college before in the US? Yeah, I did my undergrad in uh, I studied theater. I studied acting um, in in Chicago mm -hmm. at Northwestern University. Okay. And you you said you did spend a little bit of time in France as well. Was that also for um, education, for studying? Yeah, that was purely for me, my, you know, romantic fascination with France and to attempt to learn French. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't, I did learn quite a bit of French. I don't feel like I really learned French until um, I started dating a man who I'm still with, uh, who is French. That's when I feel like I really learned French. <laughs> and that's always the best reason to, to properly learn a foreign language, yes, isn't it? Yes, with, yeah. with someone who is, you're, you're very interested in. Yeah, it's certainly it's, a big motivator. It's a motivator, certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I saw, I think on your website that you call yourself a lover of all things Shakespeare. Was was that already in school or did you more or less discover that when you came to the UK or where did that, where did that come from? I think that came from undergrad, actually. I studied Shakespeare in, in school and it was like everyone reading a Shakespeare book going, I don't understand this at all. Why are <laughs> we reading this right now? And mm -hmm. then I got to undergrad and had a wonderful teacher, uh, Linda Gates, and then also my acting teacher, Don Mora, who were finally explained how you could kind of lift Shakespeare off the page and make it really real and modern and of the moment. And mm -hmm. that's when I went, okay, this is, this is cool. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, my wife actually had a, a similar experience. She spent one year at a, at a U.S. college, at Canyon College, and she had an excellent uh, Shakespeare teacher, basically. And that's really where her love for Shakespeare came from. So it, it can make a huge uh, difference, I think, because otherwise it's just uh, I think there's a risk that you just find it boring and old and you don't see the point, I guess. Yeah, it's hard to slog through on the page, but then... Maybe it's about seeing also really good Shakespeare production where you're saying, okay, I, I understand everything that's going on, even though I mm -hmm. don't speak in this type of verse language. <laughs> but, or yeah, experiencing it for yourself in terms of acting of going, wow, this is, this makes sense and is, is alive. And it's not this few hundred year old writing on a page. Mm-hmm. So would you say that it was Shakespeare or the love 
for his plays that um, set you on the path to this, uh, to, to studying acting and getting into that sort of career? In terms of acting, I was a very dramatic child. <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. I um, would always put on little plays and direct plays <laughs> with the kids in my neighborhood. And I would, um, I was very into the school plays at school. And um, uh, yeah, that was, that was that. I just loved theater and I loved performing. Um, mm -hmm. And that, I think that was really where I went to, study acting. But I think that my my voice stuff came from a much different place. I actually, when I was little, I couldn't say my R's as a child, which is really mm -hmm. unfortunate when your name is Rebecca. Yes. And so I immediately <laughs> was put into some sort of speech language therapy. And I, I hated it. And I remember having yeah. to sit there and say words like red and write and just all of the R sounds just over and over and over. And I really hated it. And then I sort of moved on with my life. Great. I can say my R's now. This is maybe I was like seven years old. Okay. And then went to undergrad. And in acting, when you study acting, you have an acting class, you have a movement class, you have a voice class. And I was really good in the voice class for some reason. Um, I could just hear mm -hmm. everything that was going on. And I really think that was because I was forced to sit at seven and eight years old and really actually listen to what my what I was making in terms of sound. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because that's that's what you do now. I mean, we haven't explicitly said it but you're a, a voice coach an accent uh, coach so so was there a moment uh where you said well that's what i want to do as a career uh where you said that maybe that's even more interesting or i don't know uh spoke to you more than a traditional acting career which can also be very very hard and, and, and very difficult i think i think it was slowly as i was studying acting i kept taking the the voice classes and um really enjoying them. And then I sort of slowly quit acting in undergrad in terms of, you know, you audition every term for uh, right. uh, different plays. And I sort of quit auditioning and ended up just offering myself, uh, that sounds weird, but ended up offering my, <laughs> myself to say, okay, I, I would love to be a voice coach on your, your productions. And mm -hmm. they slowly, the director's either wanted accent work, they had been just letting their actors kind of roam free in terms of that, or they wanted, yeah, voice coach. And at that point when I was working on productions, I really loved it. I loved the process. I loved, I loved, I found that I loved working with actors more than I enjoyed being an actor. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and I think when, when normal people just hear that voice, they think, well, it's obvious. I mean, you open your mouth and you, you speak um, but of course, there's there's much more to that, and I suppose even even during uh, your uh, classes, you already had voice coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means, working on your voice when you're trying to become an actor? Hmm, that's a good question. That's a lot. Uh, there's a lot in yeah. That. Maybe just first on on a general level, so we can have sort of an idea. I mean, it's obvious to people who use their voice a lot, but maybe it's less obvious for people who who don't, because speaking involves much more than just opening one's mouth and, you know, making sounds, if you know where I'm 
getting in terms of studying voice for acting and then i think this extends to voice for life when you're working on your Mm -hmm. voice but particularly with acting i think it's trying to find this very connected voice in your body so that your voice can respond to anything that's coming at you uh, mm-hmm. When I say that, I mean that your voice can take on any character that you're trying to play. So you have this range. And your voice is flexible in terms of um, b- being stamina, in terms of projection, in terms of, of uh, eight shows a week, keeping that up. And I think mm-hmm. that as well... Uh, there's this connection to your body and your body is acting. Your body becomes the character. So the voice also needs to become the character. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this, yeah, threefold thing of, of training the voice in terms of acting. And then again, when you're training, working with someone who calls up and says, listen, I, I just don't like the sound of my voice. Um, right. It's the same thing of, of, okay, we need this connected voice in the body and we also need a voice that has stamina. And uh, yeah, I think that's what, that's what we're working on with clients in terms of training the voice. Hmm. And I would imagine for actors, it, maybe it was even more important back in the days when there was no cinema, but just theater, because a theater is a big place and you want to make sure that everyone in the audience can hear you. Probably. Is, is that what you are referring to as projection? So make, making sure your voice gets out without necessarily having to scream right, exactly. or speak very loudly. Exactly. Yeah. It's this, this power under your voice, which is all about, uh, we talk about support, which is a, a, what is support. But it's this being able to, I'm going to use the word support now, but being able mm-hmm. to support your voice in a way that is um, healthy. So it's coming from a, a muscular place and not some place that is tense. You're not tensing your vocal folds. You're not, uh, your larynx is not tight and pushing. There's a, it's coming from a, a breathing and muscular place underneath your sound. Yeah. I find that extremely interesting because I, I did a lot of music when I was in school and I had singing lessons as well where we went exactly into that. So the support and using your voice in a healthy way, which is very important if if you're using your voice a lot because otherwise you can do a lot of damage um, to your voice as well. So I, I, I suppose that that also plays a role in your coaching. Yeah, absolutely. On the other hand, we also work a lot with release uh, in voice. I know that I had to work a lot with release mm-hmm. in in studying the voice uh, over time, I guess, you know, we, our voices take on, I hate to say trauma, but we take on sort of the world around us. And, and it's, mm. I was very quick when I got anxious and nervous to kind of go up here and my voice would, uh, my larynx would kind of close up and to get my point across mm-hmm. Um but then finding that kind of lower, more grounded place in the voice that still has strength, that's almost hmm. a release uh, as well as a support. And that's related uh, related to confidence as well, right? Because there are a few, um, I guess, conceived ideas uh, relating to how women speak and how men speak and about confidence and making yourself... Um, under understood or, or trying to you know cut through the noise if you will 
Um, did you work on that as well with your clients? So sort of the confidence, uh, speaking in public, speaking in a professional context? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's one of the most nerve wracking things is to get up and stand in front of a group of people and just speak. It's even to this day for me, it's absolutely nerve wracking, but there are techniques that we can use to, um, ground a person. And then, mm. you know, where your voice is going with, with the thought and, uh, then you're a much more powerful speaker. Yeah. And there are great techniques that you can use like proper uh, breathing, for example, to really calm down a little bit and focus. And I always found that very, very helpful. So that's that's certainly uh, things are good to know. Um, there, there is a, a bit of a thing with interpreters where, where some of us, um, at least some of the time, we always keep translating things in our head when we listen to people. And I was wondering if you have something similar, like the professional ear, if you find yourself not being able to turn that off. So when you listen to people who speak, um, in an unhealthy way with their voice or people who have a lot of vocal fry, <laughs> which is a bit of a thing with people. Um, do you find yourself in those situations where you listen to that and say, oh, that's not how you should do it or you should be more careful with this and that? Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's, well, and it's kind of bad. Actually, earlier I was listening to some documentaries on YouTube that were just kind of playing in the background and there was this woman being interviewed and mm. I just couldn't listen to you. Kept going up <clears throat> with your voice at every, at the end of every sentence and yeah. eventually it was getting on my nerves <laughs> and I just had to turn it's so it. irritating. Yeah. <laughs> so that does happen that I get really frustrated. I had, um, when I was living in Chicago, I took a Pilates class and the woman had a very big Chicago accent. The Chicago accent is very nasally. And mm. she said, um, she said, actually, if you want to challenge, you can pull up on the bar. And I went, oh God, I can never come back here again. <laughs> <laughs> So it's terrible, I, isn't it? I do think that I have this thing, and you know, the other the other issue is is that I'm constantly trying to guess where people are from, and it mm -hmm. bugs the yeah. people I'm with to no end. I'm either put bets on it and have other people bet on it, and then I'll, and then I'll ask them, or what annoys the people I'm with is I'll just outright ask them, and they're you know they say stop bothering these poor people on this street. But yeah. it is this, hey, um, where are you from? Oh, can I, can I record your accent? You have such a, an amazing, you know, example of a, of a Belfast accent. I just, I really need it for my collection. <laughs> That's almost obsessive. I mean, it can seem obsessive to people, but I completely understand. Yeah. And we do, uh, interpreters do similar things. So we, when people speak English, let's say, with an accent, we're trying to guess what their mother tongue is or we're trying to guess where people come from so yeah yeah i completely get yeah that. i was in a jazz club in berlin and we had a i was with my boyfriend and then there was this other couple one of which was no they both one was polish and one was american and hmm. we had a server who had an amazing british accent and they said I said, I bet that she's from Germany, but she just has a really great British accent. And the other persons, <laughs> the other group said, no, absolutely not. She's definitely from England. And we mm. went and asked. And she said, oh, I'm from Germany, but I just have a really great British accent. And wow. So I was just like, amazing. yes, I won. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, because that's the, the other part of your work, I think, is accent and dialect coaching. Um, can you describe a little bit what that entails? What, what, what you would typically work on when you do that kind of accent or dialect coaching work? 
I think the first thing in terms of accented dialect coaching is starting from the script. So you get the script and you look at the script and you go, okay, who is the character that the actor is playing? And that's taking into account gender, socioeconomic status, class, education. Uh, it's a huge range of, of things to look at. So you kind mm. of become this dramaturg anthropologist. And then from there, once we figured out, okay, this is the character, it's about going in and that's when the anthropologist become, comes out, is going in and finding the different accent samples. So it's either going, there's a great website called, uh, oh goodness, it's escaping me. Uh, it's the idea, yeah, idea, International Dialects of English Archives. Um, or through VASTA, there's an amazing group of people. You, I was looking for a, a Chechen word recently and could not find Oof. it at all. And I went through okay. and I called a bunch of restaurants and <laughs> none of them were actually Chechen. They were f from the area, but not Chechen. They had no idea what the word was. Half of them didn't <laughs> want to talk to me, to be honest. Okay. Um, but in any case, you go through Vasta and you can ask people. Sometimes people have collections. Uh, so it's about doing a bit of research, finding uh, samples of what you really want the actor to sound like. And then I do basically an accent breakdown. So it's almost every sound in I would assume they're speaking English. Every sound in the English mm. language of what that sound in that accent is. Um, so oh. are we pronouncing an R? Are we oh. pronouncing a TH? Are we pronouncing um, Are we pronouncing an L or is it an L? Um, are we mm. pronouncing? Uh, I mean, it, it gets yeah. Are we pronouncing H's? How is the A sound? How is the E sound it changes through every accent. So it's just really nailing down what is this accent. From there with actors, what I like to do is create sentences um, that really challenge the actor from their native accent into the, uh, the accent that we're going for. And so they can start mm -hmm. nailing down the, the different sounds in connected speech. So we're not just going from a place of, okay, here's the accent breakdown. Um, you don't pronounce an R in your accent, but in this accent, we're going to pronounce an R. So we're getting it right. in connected speech in a sentence. Um, the car was red and <laughs> I don't know, just making things up at this point, but you get what I'm saying. We, yeah, like back in the day when you had to do those exercises. Yeah, and they become—they <laughs> literally become exercises a la the King's yeah. Speech. We sit there and we right. drill these sentences. We drill the sounds. Um, we, I, I always attempt to try and get the actor to speak without, you know, the text in front of them. Sometimes they're a bit wary of that. But then mm -hmm. eventually we go straight to the text and start applying that to the script. So what is nice is that normally they have this, it's not fully, a fully improv show. So we have this um, text that then we can start really sculpting into the accent.
Hmm. Did you enjoy the King's Speech? Did I suppose you saw the movie? Yes, I did. Yeah, it was great. It was funny. You know, you recognize parts of yourself and then you cringe. Um, <laughs> and and in terms of of theater work, when when I work, you know, with theater, it's everything has to be perfect before opening night, and then with mm. TV film. It, I go in in between takes, which is also funny because I have about 60 seconds to give a note. And inevitably, yeah. I'm just yelling the word hummus <laughs> at an actor as they, <laughs> as they prep for the next scene. So they, they kind of know what I'm talking about by that point because we prep mm -hmm. so much. But it's the everyone around on a film set finds my job absolutely hilarious of what, what in the hell is this is this lady doing yelling hummus to this actor yeah. where's the hummus coming from right that now? was just a line that the the, the brits say hummus and yeah. the americans say hummus so it was in a line it's a very odd <laughs> random line and i went in and i just yelled hummus hummus <laughs> the, the First assistant director about lost it because he's, he's like, this is, sure. I'm surrounded by crazy people. <laughs> Excellent. I'm, I'm wondering, do you, do you get to shape the character a little bit with the accent or, I mean, do you, do you do a little bit of consulting or do they tell you, we want that, please give it to us and, and train that person to say that? Um, I try and stay out of the acting as much as possible, to be honest. Mm. Um, in terms of shape, being the sound i the closest i get in terms of getting into the acting bit is really kind of getting into the melody the natural rhythm and melody of the accent which often leads to the the rhythm and melody of the people that speak it so in that sense there is a bit of characterization of of um kind of the natural rhythm and melody of a British accent is of a standard mm. British BBC accent is much different than the rhythm and melody of an American accent. And so naturally through that, something in a character is going to come out. Right. Um, but no, I try, I'd really try not to touch the acting because I feel like that's the actor's job. Um, I will, in terms of dialogue coaching a show, uh, we, then also look at the script and something like a television show is being written um, pretty much at the same time as you're working on it. And in that sense, yeah. myself and the actor can look at a script and go, okay, this line is not working for us in terms of character or in terms of accent. Uh, hmm. And then can go to the writer and say, can we change this line? So I would say that, so no, I don't get involved in the acting. Okay. Uh, just a random question. Do you have sort of a favorite accent? If that's not a strange question Ooh, to ask. that's tough. Well, my favorite accent to listen to is definitely a Dublin Irish. <laughs> it's just so okay. specific. Yeah. It's just so lovely and, and um, kind of rolls off the tongue and into the ears and is, is I don't Literally. know, fills me with lots of joy. Right now I'm working with a third assistant director and he is from outside of Belfast, and that's lovely as well. So kind of general Irish, but obviously Southern Irish is much different than Northern Irish. Um, sure. Uh, 
in terms of American accent, I know I don't really have a favorite. That's hard. But in terms of American accents, um, I love the that New York sound. I have a lot of friends from New York. And although they don't have the accent, their parents do. And it's it's just so lovely to be hear that it's it's in your face. It's bold. It knows what it wants. Um, <laughs> and so I think those are maybe my two favorite English accents, um, accents in English. English. Mm. But I, I, do, I do like a good Kiwi as well. <laughs> So I'm really, I'm really so, so torn. I don't think I have a favorite, no. Okay, that's fair enough. I'm just wondering, because in the UK, accent is always so linked to, so closely linked to social status. And I'm wondering if if there's anything similar in the US. Is there a different perception of different accents? Mm, There's a saying in the South that's um, uh, just because I talk slow doesn't mean I think slow. But right. yeah, I, that. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, it's not quite as wrapped up as it is here in, in the UK. Hmm. Uh, still though, I did read an article in the New York times a few years ago about, uh, New Yorkers who had that sort of typical New York accent trying to soften the accent. So there hmm. is a certain stigma in certain areas of, of, Okay, a, a traditional New York accent would be deemed a bit more working class, um, and I think that that Southern comes with its own set of connotations. But I think that they're more mm. cultural than um, cultural than class, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. you can be in, incredibly wealthy and have a Southern accent. You could be. Uh, yeah, I think it's less so, but but there no, there is a, a, a presence of it. I wouldn't write it off completely. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, what I would like to talk about next is uh, you have on your website, <clears throat> in your blog, uh, a post that is called "A Day in the Life," and uh, in insofar as you can share information about this this project, maybe you can describe a little bit what your work looks like, sort of on a typical day as a voice and accent coach and the, the project that you're working on right now i think is is called berlin station maybe tell us a little bit about what that what that is or what it's going to be yeah berlin station it's an upcoming <clears throat> tv show that's going to be on the uh i guess we can kind of platform channel called epics which is kind mm-hmm. of a hybrid between a channel and kind of a netflix on demand service and okay. it's one of their first first original programming so they originally did mostly playing showings of films and and other shows so this is one of their first original programming and it's about cia american cia officers set in berlin so that's the project itself the in terms of my day in a life um changes every day but i'd say on the whole i get picked up um, which is very generous because I don't live in Berlin. And mm-hmm. I go get to the studio and I have a bit of time with the actors beforehand and we run over the stuff that we're going to do today that we've normally already prepped that week or maybe the week before. We do like a big prep of, of what's coming up. So me getting in, it's definitely not the first time that they've seen the text with me and it's not the first time they've seen the text because they're 
usually already memorized and everything going in. So we just go over, I hear it again before we get on set. I say, do a few little tweaks here and there. And uh, after that, we get on set and I go to the sound people. I get my headphones and put on my headphones. That's how I hear the actors because they're mic'd. And I go and I sit Mm -hmm. by a monitor and I watch. And I take notes after each rehearsal, after each take, um, go in after takes if the actor needs help or or not correct hummus stuff hummus exactly (laughs) normally i say a bit more than that but if it's if it's a very quick turnaround and i have all of 10 seconds then it's just going to be hummus Uh, (laughs) but and then after the scene i go up to the script supervisor and i say okay um from that camera angle the best was take five you could also use take four so she's getting the notes as well in terms of which are which are the best uh, the best takes. And then that's basically kind of do that all day, prep scripts that are coming out. So we may be filming episodes seven and eight, and but episodes nine and ten have come out. So then I'm going in with the actor and prepping with them through that as well, reading them, prepping, doing any research that I need to be doing. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's kind of the day, the day in the life. And in this case, did you, did you work with several of the actors involved with the project or are you in charge of only one person? How, how's that? I'm working how with two actors. Two. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and you said that, uh, you also give notes on the, on the takes. Um, let's say the the director said this was a good take let's keep that can can you jump in and say no <laughs> uh, and maybe say no maybe it wasn't perfect from your point of view um i would only say no to the director if it was really really terrible <laughs> uh th- when i say terrible i mean like maybe an actor completely flubbed a line um, and hmm. for whatever reason, the director didn't notice. Normally, the director notices. I only think I've stepped in one time and said, listen, you cannot take that take. Um, <laughs> okay. But normally, when the director says, great, I like it, and maybe it's not the best for me, I know that we have something called ADR, which is, I always get the acronym incorrect, but autom- automatic dialogue replacement, that's what they... Or another place says it's additional dialogue replacement. Or some people say it is automated dialogue replacement. (laughs) So there's a lot. (laughs) No one quite knows, it seems, even on the Internet. Automated dialogue replacement. So I I do know that I can go up to the script supervisor and I can say, uh, if they take that, it needs to go into ADR. And she'll write that down and... uh, they'll ADR it later. And that, what, what does that mean? Uh, is it sort of the dubbing later on? Yeah. So in an ADR session, actually I love ADR sessions. Very cool. Um, you're in a sound recording booth as in like doing voiceovers. Um, and they send to the, uh, recording studio, the final cut version of, the project of the TV or film series. No, TV series or film, rather, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then they send a list of things that need to be, quote, ADR'd, a list of lines. And it is basically dubbing over what they said originally. So we just go in and we fix, let's say, they needed to say um, headquarters and the actor in the line said headquarters and so we go in and the actor literally says the line over by saying, oh, we need to call headquarters and we get that in. And um, yeah, it's just slots. It's just they basically dub right over it. It's very easy. I think it's so amazing that they can do that without us noticing Because I sometimes, in the, in this very small context of podcasting, um, it sounds different every time I do it. And of course, I'm not a trained expert, but I, just to say that I find it amazing amazing that that's actually feasible <laughs> and that you, we don't notice the difference. A, a sound guy was talking about massaging in the sound. Right. So <laughs> they can kind of massage around it. And one thing is, is because they do have the actual uh, image They have the the scene playing, and the actors watching themselves do the scene, and they're they're talking with the mouth talking. So it's it's, it's some it is bizarre, but they're they're able to really get it kind of perfect, which is very cool. Okay, um, do you know when Berlin Station will be out for people to see? It? My understanding is October of this year, October two thousand sixteen. And that's probably a, it's a U.S. network or a, a U.S. At the moment, yes. Oh, okay. um, I haven't heard anything about U.K. or other international release. But we have, um, we're partly being produced by uh, Babelsberg 36, which is a, oh, I see. a German production company. So I assume that it would be eventually released in Germany as well. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Um, so maybe to, to uh, finish things off, I was wondering if, if you have a, like maybe one or two uh, good tips that you rely on in your work. And it could be anything about voice or accent or maybe a, a good um, secret recipe that you have against sore throats, you know, that kind of thing, if there's anything that you could share. Or maybe a good app for, um, you know, working on your voice or something like that. I would say, okay, my two tips... One, breathe out. That is something that I have to remind myself almost every day. Um, mm -hmm. I, we tend to get very uh, into what we're doing and then anxious and we tend to breathe in like I need more air. But instead, mm. we can just breathe out. And then that tends to be a grounding mechanism for our body and our voices. Breathe out, allow the breath back in. And then it's almost, for me, it's like I've reset Uh, in terms of, oh, there's so many good things to say. Um, I would say a really good, just doing a vocal warm up in the morning, even if it's the, the 10 minutes that you're in the shower and you're just singing to yourself and bopping around in the shower. But th there's something to be said about actually warming up your voice in the morning to send yourself off on the day. I mean, we stretch before we work out. Uh, but we don't think to stretch our voice before we're going to use it for hours at a time. So making that really a priority is something for anyone who's a professional voice user or otherwise to to do is is invaluable. 
And that could be singing or do you have maybe a, one or two typical exercises that would that people would use? Um, singing in the shower is good. Obviously, maybe not immediately, just right when you wake up going for the high belt. But I mm -hmm. tend to do a bit of breathing exercises in the shower um, in terms of breathing and then going one, one, two, one, two, three, four. So you're breathing in between each and you're getting up to 20 or 25. So you're trying to extend your uh, length of uh, supporting yourself in breath uh -huh. and speech. And then I like to do a lot of humming. Humming is great. It gets you on voice. It's safe. Um, it's kind of hard to push your, push your voice over the edge with humming. Um, That's right. Doing a bit of, of voicing while moving. So if you, I like doing down dogs, sort of sun salutation yoga movement while humming or doing on a, on a V, which is a V sound or a Z, which is a Z sound, um, is really good. So mm -hmm. getting your body connected to your voice while in movement and it really wakes you up. And then lastly, yeah, I think singing is great. Really, um, singing in the shower is, is great. Gets you on into range, getting your range up. We tend to, to spend so much time just speaking in one little area of our voice. So being able to access the high notes and the low notes is, is great. And it's very entertaining. And it's well, very so. entertaining. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was very useful. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rebecca. Thank you. I had such a great time talking to Rebecca. If you too enjoyed this conversation, let us know. You can find her on gosnell.com, that's G-A-U-S-N-E-L-L.com, and on social media. More details are in the show notes for this episode. You never know when you need an accent or dialect coach, right? This podcast can be found at www.langfm.audio, on iTunes, and in pretty much any podcast app. That's also where you can listen to earlier episodes or subscribe, so you won't miss any future conversations. Tell your friends about it, or even leave a rating or a review. That's it for now. I would love for you to listen in again. Talk to you next time.